This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I sit down with my guests to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. Jack Dennis is a longtime guide, author, television personality, and one of the early pioneers of fly fishing. In the second part of this two-part episode with Jack, we discuss making money in the fly fishing industry, rookie anglers, the evolution of fly fishing's accessibility, a river runs through it, and more. I I was the first person to read A River Runs Through It as a professional fly fisherman. I got to know Norman, and it's a four-hour read, and uh, I I was at head of of a when I was 32 years old, I got all the politics I ever needed. So I never had any desire to run for politics. As a head of a of a travel commission that was a state federal to build up fall traffic visiting the U.S. and promote the Western values. And uh, I had Montana, Wyoming the Dakotas and Nebraska, all Western oriented. And I ended up being the chairman. I, I They were all older and I was younger and stupider, I guess. But that, but this gal introduced me to Norman and he wanted me to read this book at one of our convention things. And so I we were there at like three-day conference. I had a chance to read it. I went back there and, and met with Norman and, and he says, well, what did you think of the book? And I said, well, it's the greatest fly fishing story ever told. He picks the book up and throws it back at me. I mean, throws it at me. I catch it. He says, you reread it, and I'm going to have breakfast with you on Monday. 
And you think about what you just said. So I went back, went and read it and started. The second read was better. I've read it, I don't know how many times. And you, it was him trying to understand his brother through fly fishing. How could somebody be so perfect in fly fishing and so unperfect in life? It wasn't a fly fishing story. It was a story about a man trying to understand his brother who was so perfect at one thing and so unperfect at the other. And why his father liked the other one better than the one who did everything the way the father wanted it done. So I got to meet John McLean, who would be a wonderful guest on your program, the son who has written some wonderful books. And uh, we've become good friends. And, and I helped him on uh, the He did the 100th anniversary of the uh, uh, Two-Hearted River. with, And he did the forward is as long as the book. <laughs> and it was analyzing what his father would have got. And the, the, the uh, a man trying to deal with the, a war through fly fishing. Just a, not not a brother, nor a friend, but him, and it was just fabulous getting into the mind and learning more about Norman, and then getting involved with the movie. Uh, I knew Doctor Close, who's Glenn Close's father, and Glenn uh, was a wonderful fly fisherman, and her father was the best. He's discovered Ebola. And she wanted to, she, I'm trying to remember, uh, William Hurt was her boyfriend, the actor. And he was a fly tire. He used my book when he did Kiss of the Spider-Man on Broadway. He was a real avid fly tire. And they went up and tried to get more uh, Norman to sell him the script. Norman just didn't hit it off with them. And uh, so everybody was... Like, how do we approach Norman? So Redford's people came to me and said, how do you approach Norman? <laughs> well, will you be our technical director? I said, I, I just can't do this. One of the best decisions of not doing something financially. It wasn't a Wyoming story. It was a Montana story. And I told him to hire John Bailey, Dan Bailey's son. It was a Montana story. I said, he has a, a Dan Bailey fishing day. He will make sure that it gets done the right way. And so Redford hit John and said, well, well how much do you want? He said, I want nothing. Because if I, you will listen to me if I'm getting no money from you. All I ask is a picture of you and I on the catalog. That's it. And, and they agreed to One it. of the reasons it became such a success because he listened to John, and John knew what it was like. And the son got involved, too. Right. And that, and uh, uh, it was so well done. So well done. It was game-changing. And that actually Sometimes segues. You, you got to learn to say no, and that's a hard thing to say. Especially an opportunity like that. You, you're going to be faced with that. You've got a huge career ahead of you if you choose to stay with it. Me? Yeah. 
Oh, well, thank you. Well, but yeah, saying no has, it's been, it, you do have to learn to say no to certain opportunities. It's not easy. No, it isn't. And then you, you, when I turned down a, a, a beer commercial that I didn't understand and Skip told me, man, what, he could have made $400,000. I said, well, they were only going to pay me three hundred a day. I wanted 500. He said, that's what they pay everybody. But every time it's shown, you get 300 times this. So I made a mistake on this. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we all make mistakes. We wish you know, should have sold that land or that one. Hindsight is twenty twenty. So, but where you are you going from here? Back home, you got a guide? No, I'm done guiding. But you've segued me perfectly into my kind of my final nagging question, and that's and I know I'm dragging on here, and I'm, I'm so thankful for your time. But you're just like I said, your story is enormous, and you're such an instrumental part of our sport and the story of fly fishing. Where was the pivot in your opinion, as far as being, you know, quote, available only to rich people um, into becoming more accessible? Because you were part of that change. Yeah, well, I, I think education, I think there's a lot of things. So first of all, the technology, what really changed it was the development of a floating fly line. When I first started fishing, you had to uh, have gut leaves. I still have my gut where you had to soak them. I mean, you didn't have nylon leaders, and you had to dry your fly line after every adventure, red on there, dry it off, and then put mucilin, which is sheep fat, on the thing. I mean, you, you know, if spinning reels would have been more available during that time, that changed everything because, I mean, fly fishing was just too intricate. It wasn't necessarily hard. People used fly rods to fish Colorado spinners and worms and sculpin. Some of the most deadly fishermen I ever saw was a guy who could sling a sculpin on a nine-foot fly rod and work it because they were so flexible. I mean, they were deadly. I mean, they, they had to get rid of sculpin. I mean, bait fishing with minnows, it, it was just, you know, every, I, I, I think it's, it's a, you know, when I look at it, I, I think that pivotal was the, was the fly line change, and then Fenwick coming in with affordable glass fly rods. Uh, Shakespeare tried it; they were using metal ferrules, and they were too heavy, and they, uh, they, but they were still working on the process. Fenwick came in with the ferrolite, and 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 you could get a decent rod for fifty dollars those days. And where grab, uh, cane rods were $300, $400, $500. Now, we're talking in the 50s and 60s. That was a lot of money. And so then fiberglass started getting even more. Uh, the guy that started uh, the trend was, was an engineer at uh, Union Carbide. And he started playing around uh, with, with graphite with the Fenwick people and, and mixing the graphite. And this was like in the early 60s. At the same time, they were doing fiberglass rods. And they, his name was Russ Peak, and he's really the father of the rod. And he actually made some incredible rods. Uh, Kerry Berkheimer has some of those rods. Uh, uh, you know, he's the spay guy. And he probably knows as much about making uh, uh Graphite and glass rods, that's all he's done in his life is make rods for other people until he eventually made his own rods. But 
that was uh, J.K. Fisher was a real hero because he listened to Winston, to Tommy Morgan, and all these guys how to build a really good fiberglass rod that was actually a better rod than the cane rods, but not a graphite rod. But it's a good fishing rod, good casting. The problem is graphite came out with more glass and graphite, and they were flexible and, and some of the nicest fishing rods. The difference in graphite rods necessarily weren't designed for fishing, they were designed for casting. And and if you have to cast for like an ocean fishing, they're essential. But if you're going to go on a spring creek and try to throw a five weight in New Zealand, a five weight, I, I fished New Zealand with two and three weights. I didn't spook them. I didn't have to have that one cast. I learned you uh, and I can land them just as fast as the guys. I was using light tippets. So the flexible rods really were important to handle the the six X where, where you would break them off with the five weight because they didn't have the flexibility. And that goes into the discussion. You could have 25 programs on. But <laughs> yeah. I feel like I could have 25 programs better. on you. Hey, everything got better, though, because there are more and more people willing to pay the price. Right. And then you can't buy a bad fly rod hardly anymore. Mm-mm. Everybody's got it down. Casting is still a problem. The biggest thing, that you know, and I'll leave it, you know, as we wind down, what we got better at is teaching casting. There are much better casters now than used to be. It's still not still the biggest hindrance in fly fishing is casting. You cannot be a good fly fisher without being a superb caster, period. It's like you're not going to be an engineer designing airplanes without a PhD from MIT or University of Japan or whatever. <laughs> I mean, you've got to be able to learn without thinking. You look at it, you see a fish over there and you say, I can't reach that fish. So you don't go out there flailing and trying. And when you see that fish rise, you don't want to say, oh, I got to do a cast this way or that way. It's automatic. You're from a boat. You realize the fly's got to be down ahead of the boat. So you cast, you pull back in the cast. And I had to show Joan Wolf. She, Joan Wolf asked me, she says, what's this mending crap? Mending? Why don't they just mend in their cast? And I said, Joan, they just don't know how to do that. So they do this. <laughs> mend, mend, mend. Oh, it's like so John, Lee Wolf asked me to show him how to use a three-way. That was, you never learn at all. He says, I'm not going to go out and fiddle out and waste two hours trying to figure out. Tell me what I got to do with this rock. You know, it's all about absorbing everything that you can and watching. You go up there, you can learn more from watching other people and and watch all the people make mistakes. And that's where guides get good. They watch all the mistakes and all doing it right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I haven't. Fished out of a boat. So what you, you know, you didn't ask me how come I'm doing guiding now. Well, that's my final question, and I'm happy to go there if you're ready. 
I mean, yeah. I have other questions about your career, but I also know we're going on two hours. Oh, Why? Hey, my, my, I don't know what time it is, but my wife hadn't showed up yet. So you got me as long as you want. But uh, just so oh, people know, I had, been, I had been in Montana on a mem- on our members trip and Jeff Medina, love you, Jeff, was on the phone with you. And obviously you've been on my show list for years. And so we hopped on the phone. And when you told me you were still guiding, I was dumbfounded. Can you please share why you've chosen to still guide? Well, it all started. It all started with I get a, we we had a, a, an operation that was like a great sports team, and and you can go and name the Canadian teams that were ten years where they dominated things. We were that way. We dominated. We were outdying magazine called in 2004 did the best of the best one time deal best fly rod best hiking boots best ice steel best everything in the outdoors we were the best fishing outfitter in the world that's said it all a done done deal you know we set out to what we accomplished we bought and on our 40th anniversary of the store the trade magazine did a 10 page article about how we did it. And, and it was like the only talent I ever had was picking good people. You can learn all the rest of it. You spend the time. I mean, if you want to learn to cast, I mean, you got to have some physical ability. Women are always better because they listen better. I can teach a woman. I can teach a woman. You can pick somebody out of the crowd as long as you're not overweight. And I mean, somewhat. And I can teach her to cast 60 feet in less than an hour. I can't do that with a man. I don't know. One thing I ask, she never has a spinning rod in her hand. Then it's disqualified. So so we get that down in, in the store. And we, we accomplished that. We had a great team. Jeff Courier ran my fishing apartment for 27 years. You know, I took him to the shows, took him around the world, taught him, you know, and then he went and did it better. You know, it, it, I was able to pick good people. And, and so it was starting to come to the end of our era. I was over 60. My partners were, two of them were getting Alzheimer's. And I could see this 40-year relationship of everything starting to have cracks. Now we're coming up on 50 years of opera, over 50 years. And and, I, and I'm going, um, you know, how does this end? You know, how, how does it end? I chose to live in Jackson, had to have a certain lifestyle to be able to afford to live there. So I sold out pieces at a time every year. So when I got to be where things break up, I didn't have enough to be a problem. I could just walk away. And and what? so at that point in time, 2008 came along, which was a huge financial thing. And I had no partners that were willing to be uh, managing partners. And so I had to give up my fly fishing career, which was not going to go anywhere anyway. The Internet was and social media was destroying speaking in 2008. 
put the final deals in the coffin. What you're getting paid now, I made in 1990. Now tell me what's wrong with that. Yeah, uh, inflation. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you're supposed to go the other way. And, and, and so, as it, as, it tur- as it turned out, uh, it was just time to go. It's time to sell everything. And, of course, when you want to do that, they think you want to stay. And so that gets into court battles over this, and three years of that. And, and I'm now 64, and I'm going, my accountants say, it's time. Sell everything. So, and we decided to sell everything. And I had, during that time that things were going well, I had all the time to do everything. Mike Lawson and I and, and Randall, we started using ourselves for fundraising. Go with the trip, Jack Rose, Mike Rose, Randall Fishers, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you pay extra money. So we do this. And the guy said, well, can't, why can't I hire you? And I go, well, no, you know, uh, I just don't do that. You know, I do that. So once I retired, as we're doing that, all of a sudden, I end up getting a virus from Wuhan. This was 13, from a guy who was running a fly tying factory. We were doing a speaking gauge together. He gave me the virus. He got the virus and went into our hearts. I went into congestive heart failure. And I had to have uh, ablations and change my lifestyle. So it was good that I was out of it. So we decided to follow grandkids. So we moved to Salt Lake. And we, uh, and then all of a sudden, I decided I got to do something. So I'm now helping run a, a expo. For eight years, I ran an expo. And when and during that time, Child Unlimited and all these companies approached me and said, "Well, how how much we pay you a daily fee and then let us sell it to raise money?" And I did it for a whole bunch of corporations. I mean, not corporations, but. Nonprofit, yeah, American Rivers, you name it, and it worked great. It gave me something to do, made made some money, and then uh, running the expo. I was, you know, I didn't feel like I wanted to get back into the fly fishing game anymore. I, you know, books were no longer viable. You couldn't make any money. Everybody that did it, I tell them, guess what? Those days of making any money in book are long gone. It's like a PhD. You better have a book so you have credibility. After that, uh, it, I remember Mike took 15 years to write Spring Creek. <laughs> he, he did a deal on the Henry Fork, rewrote, did, did with Gary LaFontaine, made more money on this $20 book than he did, which he only spent a year and a half on, than he did with the 15 years of Spring Creeks. He won't ever do another book, you know. You, if you're going to do a book, you better make sure you have a lot of money. I have friends who write books, but they're also retired lawyers. Right. Yeah. I'm seeing that's a recurring theme. You know, I, I mean, maybe it'll come back. And I mean, you know, it, it, it. so anyway, I started doing that and, and, and enjoying it. And it it gave me a chance to be back in Wyoming. So all of a sudden, these People that had bought these trips became friends, and they had more money than me, <laughs> and and so it became 
that came away where I'd still do some, you know, stuff to raise money for other deals. And it gave a chance, gave us extra money to do things to send in and do things with the grandkids. And so we did the eight years in Salt Lake, ran that, then the COVID knocked that down. I mean, you saw what it did to sports shows and everything. So, you know, after that, uh, you know, I, I came out and did the guiding during the COVID thing, which was really good because you're away from people. Oh, so that's when you got back into guiding? Yeah, well, I got into guiding right after the, well, it, my, my doctor said, the best thing you could do is go back to guiding and I'm your first client. It, it would be a health thing. So it, it worked out. And then I had a relapse. And then last year I had a heart flutter and I had it. And that was kind of going to be the end of it. Doctor said, if I can get rid of this heart flutter, you can live and you can do that again. And he got rid of it. So I had an operation and they got rid of it. And so I felt wonderful, better than I felt. And so I'm back doing it again. How long do you think you'll keep going for? It's about time you give it up, but I'm I'm having a tough time because it takes me to so many wonderful places. You know, I go down the rivers now, and and I tell people, if you want to catch a lot of fish, I'm the wrong person to be with because I'm going to hammer you, and I'm going to teach you how to be a better fisherman, and you may not catch the fish you think you should catch, but you will learn. And... I can't take a person who's never been in a boat before and make them into a, to a I can't make them into a fisherman in, in a day. There's no way. Yeah. You know, you're going to do much better. My grandson who has a lot more patience. But if you think you're hot, we'll see when you have to be that close to the bank and those fish are reaching out like that, just like New Zealand. We would love to fish with you. Where, so where, one thing is you can't have that fish go over looking a flock. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um. Where are you guiding out of, and how can people book you? Well, I no. Number one, I won't take anybody I don't know. Period. So yeah. don't even go there. Seventy <laughs> okay. now. I have enough people right now to, to to do it, and I did that this year on some trips, and I, I, I went. Thank God I'm not a drinker. I, I may have a drink but i would have drank a whole bottle of uh of margaritas just <laughs> never fished these are fly fishing people tying flies that fish in colorado where they only do roll casts now you tell me how you roll cast out of a boat and fish all day yeah so i had some very interesting trips this year on people that talked me into this and that sounds terrible but I want the best of it. Just you're going to be my age and you're going to be in Canada and you're going to want the people you want. I used to have money put aside when I was in the store and went with guides all around the world. They wrote, I mean, I went guides in Africa and Argentina and Chile and New Zealand and Australia and Canada and Alaska. I went with guides and, you know, I was guided. I wasn't a guide. I only guided that little time, and then so I'm. It's back learning. Oh, you've been a guide for all these years. I haven't been a guide. I've been the guide. It's like the guy sits back. Mike Lawson's this great story for one of his guides. He says, "If you could be anywhere in the world, where would you be? Right in the front where you are. Right. <laughs> you would be back here rowing this boat. Yeah. 
But you know, I haven't even hardly gone fishing. I I I, I went on. I I didn't fish at all last year. Randall and I occasionally would we'll, we'll go. I, I didn't. I don't go. I mean, I I get all the fishing through rowing the boat. I'll put it over against that bank. Here's the fly you need. Nope, nope, not there. Got okay. Now look at that. See that fish coming up? You've got to be right by that. You got to be that six inches off the bank into that, and you got to have the right drift when they do it. Magic. And then. Don't put them on the reel. You're in a boat. Strip, strip, strip. Keep that rod high. You get them on the reel, they're gone. And see, we're digging rivers that are half the size of the Madison with right. a brush. And you can't put them on a reel. You know that. You know what a steelhead does if you let them get all that line out. So you're fishing on, when you're in the smaller rivers, if you get them smaller on the reel. Rivers. If you get them on a reel, so you're saying it's more advantageous to have. Well, what happens is they run off. Yeah, you have to get right off the bat, you hook them. Okay? They're going to want to go. You make them earn. You don't let the, the drag make them earn. You let you make them earn. You keep that rod high and you feed, let the line go out and then they'll run at you. That's a common thing. They'll run right at the boat to take the fly. Yeah. <laughs> And that's where people, they set the hook, and then they're, they got the line over here. Just, what is so hard about casting and putting the line under your finger? I don't know. It's, and yeah. then when you set the hook, you pull down on it, and you're right there to do it. And you're not out here figuring out. <laughs> you're, don't, so you you were, it, don't you love it when they go over there like that with the line? Like, hey, you never heard of Georgia? I mean that is next level beginner though. So I can now you you're setting the stage. I I now have got context. <laughs> you, right. you know it 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 uh, and and I don't care how good you are. There's just so different levels of good. You know, and there's nobody that's all around. I've never seen. You know, I've watched Lefty Cray. I've been around him. You know, and I've been around Joe Brooks. I've been around all these guys. You know, I've seen some, and some of the best fishermen I've seen, nobody knows. <laughs> I mean, they just quietly go about their own business. And, and it's like baseball players. There are times when you're the best. If you're lucky enough for a brief shining moment, you're the best. And I, I watched casters go when they were young all the way up until they got old and watched how it changed. How the older they got, the tougher it got. And it's the little things that make a difference. You know, if you've got a good river and you screw up six or seven fish, so what? Because you're in New Zealand, you screw up six or seven fish, that's your day. Sometimes your whole trip. Yeah, and and if you're on a tough river like the New Fork, and you got you get three or four chances at a at a fish over four pounds, you're not going to get. I mean, if you screw that up, you screwed it up. You maybe get away with getting one or two screw ups, but and and so it and everybody does it. Randall, I mean, I watch Randall break rods on fish, and we get a big laugh, but he doesn't care, and I don't care, you know. 
it, it, it's the people that, that paid you some money that you don't want to see. Uh, but I I did go with my daughter, Amy. And she's well-known because the Amy, it's named after Amy Zant, which is one of Umqua's number one sellers. And so we went with this really good guy. Uh, every year we have the One Fly board meeting. We go on a group fishing trip. And you can invite whoever you're on the board to go with you. Some board members go with each other. And so I took my daughter this year. And I had a, a just fabulous guide. And he, and we just did had a great trip. And I said, wow, you know, this is good. You know, I need to do more of this. <laughs> but when you're retired, you just can't afford those trips anymore. That's a, that's the thing. I can't jump. I mean, I did all these trips, but I can't do them now. First of all, physically going to New Zealand, you know, that's a tough deal. I could certainly go to Tasmania. I love fishing for brown trout like bonefish. Yeah, in the lakes. Oh, wonderful. And the birds and the wildlife. And, and it's all just, the gum tree broken off dead oh. heads and uh, it's just, ah, I love it. Yeah, ninety <laughs> percent of the fly fish in America wouldn't love it. Mm-hmm. But lake fishing is getting more popular, thanks to to Phil Rowley and and Brian wow. Chick. And you know, it, it's just been that, that's the best thing. Now let's finish up too about where fly fishing went. The rods got better, lines got better, leaders got better information got better. Joan pushed really hard along with Lefty and Mel and all that to standardize teaching. That was good. That's learning to cast, not learning to fish. Uh, I've got some of those, uh, whatever the top level fly casting instructors can't hook a fish to save their life cast out there and they have no idea how to hook a fish at at 40, 50 feet. <laughs> yeah. What Joan and I always had a problem with that with that program was that they didn't teach you how to be teachers. Just because you can throw a football and connect up doesn't mean you can tell other people how to do it. And and that was the only problem I had. And I I just felt Lawson and I were in the same thing. We just it doesn't make that. Yet that helped get at least people so they could fish. You don't have to be a superb caster to enjoy fishing. You just need to be decent. But if you want to be good, that's how you get it. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, it's to me, you can read all the books in the world. If you can't deliver the fly, what is good is it? So I think that improved it. And then all of a sudden you had everybody in the world becoming teachers and the, and social media and all that. And I, I think we're at a point where all this has led up to it. Now we're at a point where do we go from here? Now we're getting too many boats on the rivers. We're getting, uh, I never understood why people, the minute they become fly fishermen, they want to teach their friends. Hunters don't do that. <laughs> Hunters don't tell you where the elk are. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, a, it's just like you love it so much, you've got to share it with somebody else. Yeah, right. It's a good point because the last thing I want to do when I'm fishing is take anyone with me. <laughs> hey, I love fishing alone. I love being dropped off the greatest thrill of my life, been dropped off on a New Zealand river, and I had the river with nobody on that river but me mm-hmm. for the whole day. Yep. And nobody's going to look at my cast or whether I screwed up or anything. And, and it's I can still like that. I would never try with. A guide being there, or somebody else, right? <laughs> you know, it it makes you, uh, and that's what I did as a kid. Crawled on the bank, and I remember the this uh, uh, lady that took me fishing. I, I told her she was the wife of the third governor of Wyoming, and so we she she started taking me fishing. My grandfather was not. He didn't want to fish spring creeks and stuff, and she was a superb dry fly fisherman. Just oh. And I actually have her reel, and and it's a hearty perfect. And she was, she and another guy, uh, we all were protege. He was a little older, so he passed the reel on to me. But I remember I would crawl in the trees and I'd drop little squirrel tail blue duns over the logs and strip them in and catch it. And she was over making these beautiful 40-foot casts. 50 foot cast with a cane rod and, and and I'm over there hauling in these big brook trout and everything. So my grandfather always on Saturday would have a shave and he was in the square of Jackson laying back and I had the shave. She came in and she was a pistol. She kicked him his feet and said, you got to do something about your grandson. He goes, what do I have to do? About, what, what, you got to teach him how to fly fish. And he says, well, he catches more fish than me. I don't know what you're talking about. But the trouble is, he uses wet flies. And my grandfather said, that's all I use. I don't know how to fish dry flies. John, you're impossible. Because those people only felt. I just looked at it. As long as it's a, as a fly, what the heck? 
I still kind of feel that way. Do you feel that yeah. way now? I mean, dry fly only, I mean, it's a lot easier work when you get older than throwing a streamer. But the bobber thing, I just can't get behind that. <laughs> if it doesn't have a fly tied to it with the nymph on, I'm 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 gone. Yep, I can understand that too. So so what is it for you now? I mean, you're gonna go back or are you gonna go come to the US and do programs and stuff during the winter or no, I don't think so. I'm gonna go home to Canada for a couple months and um just kind of get lost in the woods there the usual Northern BC thing. And then actually I am going to America in, um, in late December and January, I'm going to do Arkansas and North Carolina and do some duck hunting and some fishing with friends. And then next year. I'm in North Carolina. All right. Is that where you're living now? I live in Chapel Hill in the wintertime. You are kidding. So will you be there in January? For four years. So that's interesting because that's a time of your, your summer over there. So you're, 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 t- do you miss winter? <laughs> well, look, it's just, so every second year we, um, we skip out on Australia and come home to Canada for Christmas. And then when I'm there, typically when I go to Canada, I do two months stints. So yeah, I'll do September, October, you December, January. You have brothers and sisters? I sure do. Yeah. My whole family, everything is still in Canada for me. Family, my, my house, my business, my, everything is in Canada. So, uh, where, what town in Canada? Uh, so, mom and dad are in Chilliwack. Now, where Chilliwack. is that? Out of about an hour out of Vancouver. Oh, okay. See, I, I never went much in Fraser Valley. Right. Uh, so, they're the Fraser I Valley. Did, I, well, you know, I, all the programs were in downtown Vancouver. The shops were there. Yeah. And then they started moving out. And, and uh, so, I did a few Fraser Valley shows. But, right uh, in Abbotsford. Yeah. Yeah. And then my sister and I are in Smithers. We're just out of Smithers. Oh, Smithers. So I live on the Bulkley. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So I was going to say, if you ever do want to come fish BC, oh, I... Australia, New Zealand, we we have got you covered. You don't need to, <laughs> just need to get Look, there. Just get I, there. I, I have, you know, that's so nice of you because I have, you know, it just doesn't seem to be, you know, that God, I gotta go back before I die. And and all the people try to get me to come back. But you know, the thing is that my wife turns 80 next year. And you know, I she's been without me a lot. Yeah. And it, I have a tough time justifying I can't go anywhere without taking her. Yeah. And yeah. so when I've taken her, that that's a little bit it, it financially gets tougher. And I have people who sponsor me, come do something. But, you know, it's just, it just, uh, you never know what's in the cards. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, a lot of times you don't want to go back and see how it was. You'd like to remember the way it was. Yeah, a bit of that. So are, are, you're not doing any of the show tours or anything? No, I don't miss that at all. Um, there's certain things I don't miss. and. And the shows are probably one. Look, I, I don't. Uh, I do actually miss meeting a lot of the people at yeah. the shows, but may, maybe I'll start to get back into it a little bit. I was burnt out for a bit and was just wanting to take a bit of a break. But now I'm I'm revitalized and I'm I'm ready to get back at it. I'm definitely traveling a lot now. Next year, uh, 2023 well, and 2024 is crazy. Well, you really have the premier spot now. I mean. You know, Joan had that for years, and 
you know, and, and I was ta- last time I talked to her, we were talking about, she says, you know, I made more at my dance studio than I ever made in fly fishing, you know, and, you know, Lee was a, uh, was a Madison Avenue guy. That's where he made his money, right. you know, and uh, a lot of people don't realize he was a all American basketball and basketball at Stanford. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, he he was he went on uh, he he uh, uh, he was a great athlete. I knew really he was good. an athlete, but I didn't realize it was basketball. I think it was basketball and baseball. Cool. Yeah, but anyway, you're in a position like Joan is. I mean, you know, how do you maximize it? I, I don't. There's there there's a lot of women guides, but there's nobody doing what you're doing. It, Are you doing some television stuff? Can you make any money doing that? Well, funny you should say that. I, I'm just I finally signed back on to to do it. Tell not television. Television. The world of television oh, and streaming. And things. But yeah, there's some stuff in the works. We'll see how it goes. I I really wanted to focus for especially the first few years of my daughter's life when she was home on just building all those core memories. So. While I was still fishing, I wasn't necessarily airing it or broadcasting my experiences with her. And as she gets older, I definitely don't want to be putting her out there. I think a lot of people assumed after I became a mom that I slowed down or stopped fishing, but I actually had ramped up because I started. Well, that's why we lost so many women fly fishermen. Right. They ended up marrying people that of means they didn't need to do that. And they became hey, why do I want to talk about it? I'm going to go do it. Yeah, exactly right. But no, my story is a little, it's a little different, but I definitely, for privacy reasons, I wanted to keep, I still want to keep my daughter private, um, especially now because I've learned a lot over the last six years about raising a child and just how dangerous the world is. Um, But no, I'm very much back in the saddle now. Um, I started Anchored Outdoors during COVID and that made me very, very busy. It's a, it's a membership platform. And I, that is where I've been the most fulfilled. So you ask about the shows and all the things that I loved about the shows, I now get in my own community. I feel very safe in my community. I love my members. I get to like, Jeff is one of my favorite members. I get to really connect with like-minded people and feel safe. Whereas before it was always kind of impersonal, right? The internet was impersonal. Television was impersonal. The shows were impersonal, but now I'm in my own little commune and I feel very safe and um and I'm fulfilled and happy there but on the downside it means I'm not quite as out there in the public eye so I need to balance now, those two things and yeah that was just- like, I didn't want to write in the magazines I just never saw the use of the magazines they, only, they never ever broke 200,000 members I mean they, they say they were they tried to make you feel if they were the influence on fly fishing and I saw far more people at those shows and that read that didn't read Fly Fisherman magazine. To me, I felt that we were gaining more uh, being out there than writing articles to wait a year to get paid. Yeah, that's right. And it is like if that. you did, a lot of them never did. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it, it did make me. I did a, a few articles, and I just, I just didn't. And you know, and I, it, it's funny how they they judge that as what you did if you wrote a lot of articles, you know. And I'm really out of the thing. I'm not going to the 
to the shows. I think every once in a while I'll get a hair and say, well, well, why do I want to go make no money and be around and just talk to people when I can be spending that with my grandchildren? And you're going to be you're going to be in the same you're going to be in the same boat. But see, you're at the time where where it, if you did good, you know, get members shaking their hand. And that, so you'll probably have to do that a little bit. You're going to have yeah. to be out there. And I'm happy. I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to do that. Um, like I said, that was one of the things that I did like about the shows was me. I didn't like standing on my feet all day, but <laughs> I think that there's a way to make it work. Well, let me tell you, I used to do fly casting, you know, a demonstration. I'd do three, four a day. Right. And maybe 45 minutes of standing up there. And I'll tell you, uh, <laughs> you get tired. You know, yeah. and hungry, and you have to use the bathroom, and you have one minute to make it from there to there to there, and you just can't uh, quite get there. Well, I was older, so I was like, uh, unfortunately, this is the end of it. Uh, I will talk to you in twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no, Look, I, and I and I think a lot of it for me too is when I was younger, I was out there in the public eye, and I wasn't that skilled, and I did a lot of stupid things that make me cringe now. And I need to also, you know, I need to remember you're not 20 years old anymore. You are, you've come a long way as an angler. I, I just, now with the, with phones, everyone's, everyone's so quick to press record on you. And it makes me really nervous. I get real bad stage fright. Um, and so I just need to, yeah, I need to be confident in the skills that I've achieved or that I've been, been able to gain over the years and then get back out there. Things are a lot different than they were 20, you know, 15 years ago. Well, yeah, the thing is, you're just going to have to, I, I still do that. I mean, there's going to do the, I, I never really quite get, got that. You know, I never had a picture once. With, uh, I think I've got a couple, maybe four or five pictures that, that Harrison wanted to do with a cowboy hat. It looks like a, a total uh, fool. And, but I, I don't, I don't have, I have pictures of, some pictures of, uh, of, uh, uh, Richard Pryor and a few, but I never did get this, you know, type of type of thing. But right. you know, people want it, and and it, it's funny because a lot of them don't know what I look like as an older, but right. they know the name. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to mention. Do you know Jack Dennis? I said, uh, yeah, I think I did. Yeah, I think I might know him. <laughs> So, what's your name, Jack Dennis? Oh, well, you're not the Jack Dennis. I said, there's a lot of the Jack Dennis's out there, but I don't know. It gets it gets funny, but it is nice at my stage and age to be re- recognized. But there was a time when it, it it became a problem because you couldn't lead people. You know, I went through it with Lefty. Let let I you know, uh, he was a very interesting guy. Uh, lefty was, and and uh, I I remember spending two weeks with him, and at a deal, and after about thirty jokes of the same thirty jokes, you know, I realized why a few of my friends who had been with uh, uh, a lot of movies, you know, celebrities, after a while they get because it. They're still on call all the time. They're on, yeah. It's, uh, I, uh, it, it, there were, there were just a lot of other people 
you know, we had just minor people. I remember Arnold Palmer asked me when I had to catch him a fish in the pond that we had designed. And he got down. He said, well, where do you rank? This is like an 86 in in your field. And I said, well, I don't know. There's no rankings. We don't compete against each other. Well, how much do you get for a speaking deal? And I said, well, we get, it depends anywhere from 500 to $1,200. It depends on the situation. Said, well, that's not very much money. And he says, I get $50,000 to play a golf game. And they fill my jet. Now, this is 86. Right. You know? <laughs> and he said, well, it isn't a very big field. Yeah. And, you know, and I remember talking with Lefty and he says, you know, we make less than a first year lineman in the NFL. And, and we most likely are better known than they are. He was always the guy that we always looked to 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 set the pace on the prices and and everything and and it, but I, I I learned a little from him he, he, uh, was that if you had to stay for the auction he said well, if I have to stay for the auction if I just give a program it's seven hundred dollars if I have to stay for an auction it's a thousand dollars he said I didn't have to go to very many auctions yeah <laughs> I used to hate that doing a banquet. Yeah. You get done to the talk and then the auction would go on until 1030. And then you had to get up and be on an airplane or oh, it's 6 a.m., 4 a.m. sometimes. Oh God. It just rah. Yeah. But I like the sport shows because at least you were there for five days. Right. You could settle in and go out at night and have a couple drinks with friends. And oh I, I had some funny thing. I took you'd you'd love this story. So I was at BC Place and you know, there's a wonderful hotel across from there right. and it's where the movie people are always staying when they do the canadian movies and and uh, the william tell restaurant which is just fabulous is in that building and so uh one of the guys stopped me in the hallway and said look i know you're doing fly casting lessons over at the bc place uh robin williams wants a lesson oh on how gosh. to throw uh, he heard you were doing lessons on how to throw a teeny tip. And he's going to Alaska and says he's got a night shoot tomorrow. So he doesn't have to be there until like four o'clock, three o'clock. And I he said, would you get up in the morning and, and give him a private lesson? And I said, sure, absolutely. And so we went over there and uh, and they, they, they had a reasonable casting thing, but, you know, it was only like 75 feet. and. And, and he he was uh, he knew his way around. And he was very quiet. You know, we, he wanted to talk to me about New Zealand. He was going to go to New Zealand. And he said, look, I know Alaska. I've got to learn how to throw these. And I, I said, well, you got to forget about your casting. It's different. And, and you know, I said, the roll cast once back, shoot it. So he was getting pretty good at it. nobody on the floor and everything. And he said, hey, this is. It's kind of fun, you know. You really don't have to work very hard. I said, "Well, you will when you strip it all back." <laughs> <laughs> and so, as he was doing it, he he shot. He, he he really got it in, and he shot it and went clear over the the uh, block. You know, the, the the things they had to block it, and then to. To one of my friends at a fly shop there, Kathy Ruddick. I don't know if you. Oh yeah, it. right. Yeah, and, and she just laughed. She was just laughing. He said, "See if you can do it again." And they <laughs> realized they were just come to the show that was Robin Williams up there. 
So he goes back and he, and so he does it and he misses it and goes to the left and hits this biker woman walking up because the people were starting to come into the show, just hit her right in the chest with that, you know, that shooting cat fly line. Yeah. Just drills her. And the guy was this great big biker guy, and he took one look, and Robin hands me the rod. So when he looks up, I'm holding the rod. You're the bad guy. <laughs> and, and this guy runs right through, you know, there's only like about that much water in it. He runs right up the casting pool, throws down the barrier, and runs right at me. And Robin's standing there next to me. And I'm going. And he gets about 10 feet away and he stops. Robin Williams. <laughs> and he goes into his act. And the police are now coming in there and they're grabbing me because a woman's staring me down. And, <laughs> and they pull me away and Robin just stays there and he just entertains them and finally out to one of those deals in BC. <laughs> pull out, you know, and, the, and get out of there. So I go back over there and, and there's a card in my deal when I get done and said, you're, you're on for dinner. I'm, I'm working, but William Tell, Arctic Char, you know, they knew that I liked Arctic Char and Big Bottle, Cloudy Bay, Sauvignon, uh, and a nice note. Thanks for the adventure. <laughs> and I had the by myself, had one of the great meals. Yeah. It was it was pretty, pretty damn funny. I wish you liked writing still, because I would love to see a book with, with all your stories. You know, you could tell your stories and have someone write them for you. Well, I don't, but I, I don't know. I'm at the point now, I'm looking at all the books, and my wife says, you know, if you died tomorrow, I'm just going to dump truck and just take all this stuff away. She's not as enthusiastic about my career as, as uh, others. <laughs> but the good, the good news is we got a chance to raise a great family and go everywhere I wanted to go. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and that's, uh, I, I got to testify in the Senate on a bill. I got to go to the White House. I got... To go great long friendship with Dick Cheney, and I got I got to tie flies in the in the, in the Senate chambers, you know, I, and all these wonderful things. Got to do all the television and everything I ever dreamed of doing. Hey, well, let's let's keep in touch, and I'm glad that. to see you coming back next summer. So we're going to have to find some time that we get together in uh, in Wyoming. Yeah, we'd love that. Yeah. And okay, it's oh such boy. a pleasure, Jack. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, that's really wonderful. Take care of yourself. And Thanks, Jack. Forward. You too. And I, I, I appreciate your integrity. It will win over the the long run. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It, it's better to have your own people than have to depend on how much you punch the deal. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you so much for listening. 